Hi, this is the redheaded preacher, Richard Lanford, the pastor at St. Peter's United Church of Christ, an open and affirming congregation in the United Church of Christ. And we are in the Chicago suburb of Skokie, Illinois. This message uh, today on January 26th is called Repent, Follow, Fish, largely based on the gospel reading this morning, which is from Matthew 4. Today is our annual congregational meeting at St. Peter's, which will follow worship. But <clears throat> unlike my usual pattern, this message really is not aimed at uh, a congregation before its annual meeting. Um, so that's a little different for me. Our lector this morning is Amanda Stegmuller, or Mandy Stegmuller. She's also our church treasurer and has been a member at St. Peter's uh, for, I don't know, 20 years plus. And so uh, I've got to get ready for Sunday School Chapel. And I invite you to stay on while the podcast now shifts to the scriptures and then the sermon for Sunday, January 26th. And before going any further, let me say thanks for tuning in. And I hope you're having a good day today or a good night. Here goes Mandy. Our Old Testament reading is Psalm 27, verse 1, and then verses 4 through 9. The verses include both a song of trust and a cry for help. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask of the Lord that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. Here ends the reading of Psalm 27. Our epistle lesson is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Paul's letter addresses a list of problems going on in the church there. And here he tackles the first one. Division within the body of Christ. Paul wrote, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, 
and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This ends the reading from 1 Corinthians. A worship carries on with an anthem. Thank you. For those of you who are able, please rise for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel reading is Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. This immediately follows Jesus' temptation in the wilderness in Matthew's gospel and is the beginning of his public ministry. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that, he had been, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This ends the reading of the gospel lesson and our scriptures for this morning's service. May God continue to add... When Mandy read the gospel... Did you notice anything about Jesus' first sermon? It was short. (laughs) Yes, if we think that there was no elaboration on it that Matthew left out. Anything else? It was just the same. It was just the same as John the Baptist's message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It has come near, excuse me. And the Greek translates either way. He started off with the foundation that he had received. He also realized something about us. In doing so, we benefit from hearing stuff more than once. Repetition helps you and me learn. Some of you know the old adage about communication, which I think I first heard at St. Peter's. Tell him what you're going to say. Then say it. And then tell them what you just told them. As I've said before, it's not for nothing that Jesus at the Last Supper said, do this in remembrance of me. We need reminding, and Christ knows that. I thought of that on a larger scale in our world when I read in Thursday's Chicago Tribune about the approval given by our Department of Interior for the the right-of-way allowing the Keystone XL oil sands pipeline to be built across federal land. It covers 46 miles of the line's route across land in Montana, 
which is controlled by two federal agencies. It's going to be 1,200 miles long. It will be crossing a lot of rivers. And it would, be, it would transport up to 830,000 barrels of crude oil daily from Western Canada to terminals on the Gulf Coast. First proposed in 2008, the pipeline has become emblematic of the struggle between economic development and the curbing of fossil fuel emissions that are causing climate change. The previous administration rejected it, but the current administration revived it and has been a strong proponent of it. And then in Friday's paper, the administration ended federal protection for many of our nation's millions of miles of streams, arroyos, and wetlands. Quote, a sweeping environmental rollback that could leave the waterways more vulnerable to pollution from development industry and farms. The policy change narrows the types of waterways that qualify for federal protection under the Clean Water Act, end quote. Well, I'm grateful for the reminders, urgent reminders, from people like Greta Thunberg and the United Nations Climate Report from just last fall, which say developed nations must repent. Yes, repent, like Jesus preached. For a long time, you know, I took that word from John and Jesus to be personal repentance. And yes, it does mean that. How can you or I meet Jesus and embrace Jesus if we're facing the wrong way. There's a need for to turn around, to meet him, and that's repentance. And that's pretty much the only way I thought of it for, for some years. But I, for today, especially, I dug into the Greek of the passage. And you know what? When John and Jesus said repent, it is in second person plural. Second person plural. Digging back into our English grammar, you know what that means. Actually, I learned it more in French grammar. <laughs> it, the message, message to repent is not just to you, but to you all. It's plural. Peoples are to turn. Just as in Matthew 25, it says, the nations will gather before God's throne for judgment. Well, during this research... My Harold Moulton analytical Greek lexicon revised also gave some extra words about repentance. Here you go. Quote, to undergo a change in frame of mind and feeling. To undergo a change in frame of mind and feeling. To make a change of principle and practice. To make a change of principle and practice to reform. John the Baptist also preached that he wanted to see proof that repentance had happened by how people lived and how they treated others. Bear fruit that befits repentance. Talk is cheap. When it comes to climate change and a plethora of other areas, I believe there needs to be repentance. Regardless of where you and I may be on the topic, I think we can agree that repentance would be a righteous first step for a lot of things going on. Do I need repentance? Of course. No one's perfect. Jim Wallace, one of the things I remember from my earliest readings of his writings were our lives as Christians are, you know, 
kind of regular repentances. We constantly need to turn back because we're people and we turn away again. So yes, in parts of my life, for sure. Does St. Peter's need to undergo any changes of mind, feeling, principle, and practice? Well, when you, I, or anyone and any group of people have changed their minds back towards the kingdom of God, the next thing we find persons doing as a result of that is following Jesus. That's part of the bearing fruit that John the Baptist wanted. Well, last week, if you were here, we had St. John's version of how Simon and Andrew came to be disciples. Today, we have the more familiar story of the four fishermen leaving their businesses and families, at least for a while, to follow him. As I preached last Sunday, they were called. Today, we look at the called, now following. So I said something about developed nations and our own government a moment ago. Let me say something to or for parts of our Christian family, even if they are not represented here. I wonder sometimes if some of those claiming to follow and love Jesus have actually read the Gospels. Lots of people cringe at the word evangelical because of how it's been interpreted politically in the media when it actually means of the good news. That's its root meaning. We are to be a people of love and forgiveness, humility, welcome, and service. Yet according to the Barna Group that does religious research, among young people who do not go to church, 87% say they see Christians as judgmental, and 85% see them as hypocritical. That's our calling card, often thought to be true of Christians as a whole? Well, who are those Christians following? Following Jesus is an adventure to the alternative way to abundant life. Following Jesus is the way of self-emptying. As the Son of God became a human, to end up serving the world by his suffering and death on the cross. That offering reconciles us to God and shows the bottomless riches of God's grace for us and for the world. Following Jesus means not putting us first. It means turning to him in trust, and that's not always easy, turning to him in trust and doing our best. For God, our neighbors, and the human family. Following Jesus is risky. It can be scary. It is the way to the life that really is life. Psalm 27, one of my favorites, begins with the affirmation, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The psalmist, it turns out, has reason to be intimidated. But he puts his trust, his faith, in God. He trusts the Lord more than he trusts in his fear. When you or I are at a point where following Jesus is clearly a choice, yes or no, we might ask ourselves, do I trust Christ more, or my fear more? 
Do I trust God's love more or my uncertainties more? And I know often those choices are not clear. All the same, reclaiming faith is good for any church or Christian facing difficult choices when the Christ choice seems clear but still frightening. It's good for public servants of faith when they weigh moral quandaries vis-a-vis their partisan or personal gain dilemmas. What is their faith saying? What is Jesus saying? Following Jesus is often countercultural in the best way possible. But no one, including Jesus, says it's easy. Repent, follow, fish for people. This is what Jesus said he was calling Simon and Andrew to do with him. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Now, the words, I will make you, do not sound all that inviting. But they follow all the same. We know Jesus meant that he wanted them to help him build a movement by recruiting others to it. They would not be alone, and neither would Jesus. They would eventually become apostles, those who are sent out once the day of Pentecost came, and as Paul later did, they'd spread the good news of the forgiveness, the rule, and the grace of God, which is for all people. Do you see yourself as a person fisher? Is this church a training ground for person fishers? Because it's easy to presume Jesus wants those who follow him to also fish for people, particularly in our era when those who claim no affiliation with religion, those who claim to have no belief in God, are increasing rather rapidly, and that 87% of us, their main picture of Christians is they're judgmental. And before you say, fishing for people, that's not me, please listen a little while longer. Well, what do fisher folk have to do? They have to go out. Whether it's to the creek, the lake, or whatever the body of water is, and whether you're on a dock or a boat, those who fish cannot do it at home. It reminds me of the Great Commission at the close of the Gospel. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So how do you and I and St. Peter's fish for people? How do we spread the good word and invite others to the Jesus movement? There are a lot of books and DVDs and YouTube videos on possible ways. When I went to seminary, uh, my professor for the class, the pastor as evangelist, had us read books which focused a good bit on door knocking programs. There are places and times that will work all right. But although that, and that bears some discussion, but it's not generally our style, I'm open to your ideas about that. When I've talked about evangelism here in the past, and this is really what fishing for people is, uh, and I, that's what I have said, I've emphasized the method of sharing your faith in conversation. When it feels right, when it might be helpful to someone you're talking to, you could be planting a seed. 
The words we might use in such situations generally need to be chosen with care and tact. It might help to sketch out some lines or phrases you're comfortable with and keep them in the the back pocket of your memory when, in fact, such a place and a time and a conversation does show up. To be ready, as well as be yourself. Telling a story, maybe, about how prayer made a difference. And, or when you felt that what happened to you was truly a blessing from God. See where that goes. All you're doing is sharing a part of your faith. You're not judging anyone. You're not forcing it on anyone. You're not trying to take charge of the discussion. And you're not telling them, well, they should try out your church. That may or may not come later. You never know. But this is where your preparation doing some thinking, what might I say in a certain situation, put it in your memory bank, when your preparation opens the door and God's Spirit takes it from there. Talking with a friend, after a previous night of conversation about God and faith and Jesus, with a third friend, or a second friend, there were three, then there were two, talking with that friend the night after brought me to Christ. So conversations can make a difference. And Sunday school and church growing up helped make give me that seed where I believed there was a God to turn to and believe in. We never know, too, that someone may be hoping we'd be bringing up faith, but they do not have the language or the courage to be the one to bring it up to you. You could actually be helping them by being the one to bring it up. Again, if the time... And circumstances seem right and unforced. Authenticity is never to be underestimated. I said fishers have to leave the house most of the time. In this context, you know, we can have talks with people at home where our faith, our offer to pray for someone, uh, our church, our values because of our faith come up in conversation. But otherwise... It's out there. After you and I get ready for just such a time as that. We prepare for the possibilities with God's help. And God is also active. We pray for our ability to do this or for someone to receive what we might share. But God is also working, perhaps, to prepare them to receive your story or my story. We're not the only ones at work in this. God is our partner. We are following, remember, not going it alone. Jesus called us to be the salt of the earth. In closing, let me share with you that Rebecca Pippert wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, Evangelism as a Way of Life. And... Just by the title, you can figure out, well, we've got to leave the salt shaker and live the faith in our pro-love, God-honoring, pro-earth, pro-human dignity, pro-worship, pro-justice, pro-healing, anti-greed, anti-violence, anti-bigotry ways of life. Sometimes being in such neighbor-loving endeavors, even by writing checks, 
opens the way to sharing why you, I, or our church is involved in those endeavors. For example, it's a witness to be one of the many churches which are in the Chicago Gay Pride Parade. Another setting, parents you meet in PTOs find out that you bring your kids to Sunday school every week. That's a witness and a conversation starter. Who we follow shows in a lot of our life choices. And what shows then helps you and me fish for people who are themselves interested in finding a God of love who brings us the alternative way of the life that really is life. Amen. Thank you for listening. That does it for this Sunday's edition of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast of January 26th. Hope you enjoyed it. Next week will be the first Sunday in February, which in our church service there will be an installation of officers and board members elected and re-elected at the annual meeting that held uh, that took place on the 26th. And there's also communion that first Sunday of the month at St. Peter's. So that means that the message next Sunday is going to be quite brief. Please tune in, and thanks again for listening. It really is appreciated, and may God bless you and yours.